This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And one of the ways we do that is by bringing you people who know about tools that can help you help your clients that you may not necessarily be aware of. And our guest today, Mr. Van Carlson from SR831B, is going to tell us all about something that I'm intrigued to learn about but I am 100% sure you're going to be intrigued to learn about. And that is a risk mitigation strategy that involves tax deferral and all kinds of other fun buzzwords that basically mean putting money away but not having to pay a bunch out. So with that being said, we're going to get kicked off. Van, what is going on? Hey, not much, David. Appreciate your opportunity to be on your show. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. So before we get kicked off on what you're doing right now and getting into the weeds because i got a feeling there's going to be some weeds that we get into give everybody like a little bit about your background sort of the ten thousand foot overview of who you are and how you got to where you're at and then i want to dive into this because it's going to take some time to get through i have a feeling yeah yeah no problem um you know so you know i consider myself an entrepreneur um you know, I've been, I own four different companies. Um, I, I love bi- really efficient business plans. Um, and anytime I can get a hold of one of those and be part of that, I always get excited because I think it's a, a, a great opportunity to make some more money. And and so I've been in risk management for almost 30 years, and that's where I kind of started my professional life. And that's really been advising business owners, the risk takers, the entrepreneurs, on how to mitigate risk. I mean, I'm all about putting the, the foot down to the pedal and, and going after it. Uh, however, it's sometimes it's important to look up too and, and recognize the risk you've taken to get where you're at. And now how do I mitigate some of that risk as well and still want to go forward? And, it, you know, David, when I first started this, uh, you know, one of the most disconcerting, disconcerting things I've ever heard from business owners was, hey, I'm tired of growing because the more I grow, I just pay more taxes. I pay, take on more risk. The reward's not there. I'm going to stop. And, uh, you know, that's that's bothersome for me because, uh, you know, we need those people and for a lot of reasons. And uh, so I think our tools, you know, what ultimately I evolved to is this concept of self-insuring risk and how do you mitigate that risk more effectively utilizing an 831B plan, which we'll get into. But mostly it's just that, you know, helping those business owners that are at that point 
and and the risk reward's gone away. And and you know how do we how do we revive that? And I think our plans do that for for business owners and entrepreneurs for that matter. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I've always felt basically you just validated sort of how I felt. I hear people talking to me when we're out. I mean, you and I are just now meeting, but my firm specifically works with companies in the middle market space for their property and casualty programs. So what does that mean? Well, middle markets are moving number all over the board, but you know, I've always felt like people are doing well when they're a small business. You can make a lot of money do what doing well as a small business. If you're operating efficiently and fine tuned and you can do really well when you get to be big, but it's that time in between where I feel like people start feeling that the pain of the jump and having to push through, push through the the issues that they're dealing with there, where yeah. they are having to pay more money out. They are having to work a little bit harder. But once you break through to the other side of that, the rewards there. The problem is we lose a lot of people in that middle space because they just don't have the capital or they don't have the foresight to figure out how to push through into becoming a bigger company. And at the end of the day, they just can't get the get past the fact you do in some cases, you're going to have to pay to grow to a certain degree. But I also feel like now with a lot of the alternative risk transfer that's out there and available to people, yeah. you know, there are ways that they can redeploy funds that might make it easier for them to scale in the way that they would want to scale, which would likely be with a lot less friction on the, the money that they're laying out to other people. To your point, self-insure, bring some of that risk in and do so on a tax-deferred basis, that sounds like a, a win all the way around. Specifically, one of the things we talk about on my podcast and also how we sell in our agency is total cost to risk based. I don't really, you know, I don't want to say I don't care about the insurance. I certainly do because that's part of having a good coherent risk management program in place. You have to finance some of the risk. It's just the way that it is. But I'm also an advocate on people taking as much healthy risk as they're willing to tolerate. I want them to take healthy, um, quantifiable risk that's with, within tolerance. And I'm in Florida, man. We need every strategy we can get down here right now, whether it be deductible buybacks or figuring out a way to take a larger deductible to hopefully have an impact on your premium. But the market has become unraveled to a point now where you're not even taking deductibles and retention at a much higher level to have a premium impact. You're doing it to get terms. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and that's a great example of an unfunded liability. We talk about, you know, you're willing to take on you. Okay. If you take on the retention and the higher risk and the higher deductibles, that's an unfunded liability. So, so, when you look at the 831B plan, and let's let's just talk about that so, so for your listeners to kind of bridge some things across. An 831B plan is just it's just no different than a 401k. It's where you find it in the tax code, right? In the federal tax code. So this 831B came in came into existence back in 1986, and it be under the tax big big tax reform act of 86. And what was happening back then was farmers were finding themselves self-insuring crop insurance because what was happening that private sector was getting out of it. No different than Florida experience with hurricanes. You know, private sectors are for-profit businesses. They have to turn a profit. They're either gonna limit catastrophic events or they're gonna get completely out of it or they're gonna have such big retentions of co-insurances 
that no matter what happens, a business owner, or in this case, the farmer was finding themselves in self-insuring crop insurance. So Congress got together and said, hey, we got to create an incentive. So basically they developed a 31B plan. And that really was a way to recognize self-insuring risk and how do you make it tax deferral. The, the idea by, ta by doing the tax deferral, you just have more money to work with as a business owner, as a farmer. At, back then it was 1.2 million that you can put into this plan. And now this year, starting in 24, you can do 2.8 million per year. Now, there's a lot of rules in the middle of all that, no different than the 401k. So I don't want listeners to think that this, this thing is not, you know, um, you know, a silver bullet. It's not. It, it, there's rules well, and regulations. Well, the other thing, too, is you want to make sure they understand this is not something they're just going to be able to go out and say, you know, wave a magic wand, wish for an 831B and have it happen to yeah. get it in place, number one. But I also suspect the ongoing service work that's involved in it, making sure that everything's in compliance is a big deal, too. Exactly. And and we we are their administrator of their plans. No different than you would hire a 401k administrator. Nobody would just go out and form their own 401ks. You can't do that. The clearinghouses won't allow you, right? You're not going to be able to put your investments on the platform unless you have an administrator. Because why? They want that. They want somebody in the middle there that understands the rules and regulations. And that's really where our job comes in as, as, as administrator of these plans. So there's great advantages to it, obviously, but at the bigger thing though, is this the risk that you, that you have, that, you know, the risk that you're retaining. If you're gonna take on a, a good example would be COVID, right? COVID-19 came out, non-essential, whatever. Government had to get in place, right? Cause the PPP and ERC and all those things, because traditional insurance carriers were not gonna cover business interruption. You know, if you have an indirect loss, it's excluded on the policies. It's that simple. Yeah, you, you have to have a direct covered clause of loss to, to trigger the policy oh, yeah. to pay out for you. And I mean, I, I think that's interesting, man. And if you look, just to sort of put framework around it, this isn't just individual businesses. Think about like event cancellation. And I think if anywhere there was going to be coverage, that's where we found it, right? There were a lot of those event cancellation policies for Lloyd's and other places that kind of remained silent. They didn't necessarily come out and say, hey, by the way, we're going to cover this. But they didn't have the pandemic exclusion on there. And as a result, I do know money was paid out there. But for the people that we call on that aren't, you know, these massive concert tours or sporting events or things like that, that wouldn't have. And I'm going to go ahead and say it accidentally had that in place because there's no way they bought that policy thinking there was going to be a pandemic it's for other things but mom and pop and small business out there and yeah. even medium-sized middle market companies they they're not buying this stuff they don't have it in we're very very well aware that the gl policy the property policy everybody's looked and we dodged i think a major bullet in the industry because the government didn't come in and basically rewrite the rules and say oh you have to pay out for this now because we said so. It has nothing to do with the policy language. It's just here's what here's what we're gonna have to do. And I mean, look what happened with 9-11, right? There's probably another good example. It's a very good I've I use, unfortunately I used to use that prior to COVID nineteen. <laughs> yeah, you know, 9-11. I mean, I mean, that's where we were. And, and I mean, yeah, so I'm I'm 100%. really interested to hear you know, hear what this strategy looks like because in my mind. I automatically went to the fact, well, the government's probably going to have to figure something out like this and put together a government program and charge everybody a micro fee on every single policy that's written and administered so that they can put it in there. When in the meantime, where's all that money for terrorism insurance right now? Like, I don't even have a clue where it goes, who no, holds on to it or anything. No, there, that's a whole nother conversation. We can have some of the TRIA stuff is an interesting, uh, I mean, has yeah. it had 
technically another uh, triggering event since since 9-11 and all that premium that's been collected, right? Um, a whole other conversation some other day. But um, no, the, 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 the getting back to the COVID-19 conversations, it's just like, you know, we tell people, hey, you need to have your own PPP plan, but it needs to be self-funded. And that's what a late 31 allows you to do. You, it's deferring taxable income today put into this vehicle with the idea you're going to build it up, build surpluses, build reserves. Because here's the problem about risk retention plans or, or, or higher deductibles and everything. I, nobody plans for that. Nobody takes a dollar away and say, hey, I'm going to park it off to the side and if something happens, it's a dollar I'm going to use. But even if you did that, that's a taxable dollar. So now you've got 50 cents or 40 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar, right? Well, they or if you're using it in your household, you're doing it with after-tax money that you've already been taxed on. That's exactly right. And so wouldn't it be more efficient to use pre-tax dollars? Why? Because you got more money to work with. So then it makes the risk that you're going to take that much more feasible. You know, and, and in, uh, Florida is a great example, unfortunately, where we see a lot of co-insurance. I mean, how many homes were built in Naples still far? Because you got to come in with a huge co-insurance deductible to rebuild your house. And some of these houses are two, three million dollars. Twenty percent is a meaning, meaning, meaningful number, right? Um so those are all things that we deal with all the time with business owners all over the country. Not only, you know, we're dealing with electrical companies right now that we're installing power lines in the Midwest. Uh, their insurance care is gone. Why? Because they're worried that what happened in the Maui, they're saying that the electrical fire, the, the power lines caused the fires. Well, insurance carriers are going to say, hey, we're not going to do that anymore. When it's that big of a catastrophic risk. Um, you know, so these guys are now finding themselves self-insuring risk. Well, how do you want to do that? You want to manage that with after-tax money or pre-tax money? That's all an 831B is going to allow you to do is use pre-tax money. And to me, that's just building the war chest. It's building the rainy day fund, whatever you want to call it. But it's much more efficient way to take the risk on. And that's really where it's just a good business. It's just not, and I always say this, I always say this to clients. And I, and, you know, I used to sell traditional insurance. Um, back in 08, you know, I looked at the financial risk business owners took. And then unfortunately, you know, I love the fourth quarter. I love coming into a quarter like this. Why? Because the CPA called them up and said, hey, you're going to owe a lot of money in taxes. You had a great year. Uh, go ahead and buy some more trucks and another skid steer. And they, of course, they called me up and, you know, I got to make more money too. The sales guy got to make more money at Caterpillar and their life was good. Uh, however, all they did was took the accelerated depreciation and then they just bet next year was going to be better because they financed debt. And that's a really inefficient way to run a business. Um, betting next year is going to be better than this year, and you had a record year this year. And that's really when 08 and 09 really settled out for me, and I thought there had to be a smarter and better way to do this. And that's, and then at that, so around that same time I was exposed to this idea of an E31B, I wasn't that interested in it at the time because I'm like, well, it's pennies on the dollar to insure traditional insurance. But I, then I found myself 40, 50% of the time telling my commercial clients, hey, that's not going to be covered because here's why. Or, hey, by the way, if you put this in, you may want to consider just retaining it because unfortunately, here's what's going to happen to your rates. You've already had a claim this year or two years ago. Here's what, you know, these are conversations you would have as a consultant for your business owners. And, and, it, and it got to be really uncomfortable, especially in 08, 09, 2010. Now you fast forward to COVID and, and unfortunately, we know there's been a lot of uh, uh, no, I would say corruption. A lot of a lot of fraudulent activity around PPP P P P and ERC. Um, and now it's like, hey guys, this code's been on the books for a long time. You know, make this a normal business practice. We believe, Dave, this will become a normal business practice. And it's not because of the tax advantages and all that. 
is for the simple matter of traditional insurance carriers are going to be limiting their scope with with risk, especially when it comes to COVID-19. Now you add in, think about 1986. We didn't have cell phones yet. Now look at the cyber expo- exposures we have today. You know, I, I like cyber policies. I think cyber policies do a good job, but they put in so many exclusions today. I mean, they're really good for credit watch on your on your clients, and that's about basically it. Uh, if you're going to have to put a credit watch on for them for two years. I mean, that's what a policy will do for you. But with all the exclusions that's going on in there, and then you talk about brand protection today. Who's who's buying brand protection? Who, who's offering you brand protection? Zurich's got one policy out there, and it's $100 million a year coverage. And it's really for your Fortune 500 companies. And, they are, and they're not buying it. They're self-insuring it. I also would tell you that the biggest adopter to this probably have been the Fortune 500 companies. They have big, have been the very large insurance uh, companies. They all own their own insurance companies. Nobody's selling them product liability. They're all retaining that risk, and they're using these products to do that with. You know, when I looked at this in 08 and 09, it was like ridiculous how costly it was for business owners to do this, and a lot of business owners just self-selected out because it was too costly to do. Through competitive competition and everything else, this is becoming a normal, normal business practice. You know, back then, eight states were promoting you to own these plans in their states because you have, to, you have these are C corps. So your front, your, this 831B plan, it has to look and feel like an insurance company, but in its core, it is a C corp. So now you have 30, now there's 35 states promoting you to have these plans inside their states. Why? Because they want additional revenue, there's some taxes involved, and all that fun stuff. Um, but now, I mean, so as, as competition becomes more and more available or there's more out there, fees become more online. And I would tell you today, our clients that are doing this today, you know, you're talking about a million dollars or more in revenue and it becomes affordable to do it. And if you're taking on more risk, how are you going to mitigate that risk? How are you, how do you appetite, how do you create that risk reward factor that you need? And this is just one element of that, that allows you to do that. So let me ask you this. Is there any type of restriction in terms of the types of coverages that they can replace uh, using this. I mean, we've been all over the board. We've talked about brand liability and, and professional and some other things. I want to make sure we understand the ground rules before I start, you know, getting into deeper questions. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we can absolutely replace traditional insurances with it, especially with work comp. If you have a lot of work comp revenue or I should say premium, we we do that all the time, I mean, but you you know you're talking north of four to five hundred thousand dollars in premiums combined between your G, general liability, your work comp, and maybe some property and some commercial auto and excess risk as well. But you know th- those are big premiums, and you know so it's just a very selected market. Hopefully, if you're paying those types of premiums today, you're already aware of that program. And and again, it's it's a tool in the toolbox. It may be a great great idea for you, it may not be. Uh, but then you talk about all the other risks that, that you're just retaining. And and unfortunately, as you know, David, that 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 just keeps expanding. The amount well, of I mean, risk intellectual that- property is one that comes to mind. I see oh, yeah. it all the time. Patent and trademark infringement. And, you know, whether it's from the liability standpoint where you infringe on somebody else or vice versa, the only products that I've ever really seen out there are almost like a prepaid legal where you're still paying an extremely expensive amount for the premium itself. But then once something happens, it's almost more like medical insurance than what it is than a property and casualty coverage, because your co-insurance is more like you're paying 20% and sharing in the claim along with the person who's insuring the other 80%. So you're paying a lot of money up front. 
Plus, you're still sharing in in the payout. I just I feel like this would be a great place for people who are innovating with tech or other things where it doesn't make sense to go out and buy an insurance product because let's face it, man, probably the majority of the tech companies out there, the pharmaceutical companies, they're probably not going to deal with an infringement issue. You know, probably not a good, a, a good number do, but I feel like the people who be, because it's not something that you see like every single company dealing with, it probably gets put on the back burner, but it's a very real issue when it happens. And now oh, yeah. all of a sudden you're toast. Severity. You were talking about severity, right? 100%. So I view this almost, and you, you're more than welcome to correct me if I'm wrong, but I must view this like what I call in my personal budgeting, a sinking fund, right? I know that I'm going to have to buy furniture for my house down the road, right? I know that with four kids and two <laughs> Big golden retrievers that my living room couch and all my furniture is probably going to need to be replaced every 10 years. So if I know that I'm going to spend roughly $12,000 to do that, I'm doing this to make my math easy. We do not have $12,000 in <laughs> my living room. Never would have it with four kids and two golden retrievers. But if I did, <laughs> then I would know I need to save $1,000 a year in order for me to have 12000 at the end of that time period, which means I could then take that and break it down to how much do I need to have per month and how much for each one of my paychecks do I need to be setting aside. And I have a separate checking account that we have set up where a certain amount of money towards future purchases goes in. Capitalizing You're capitalizing an expense. But it's all with after-tax dollars. So what I'm hearing you say is we can sort of plan for the unplanned in a tax-deferred way by simply figuring out financially what makes sense in terms of the risk we're going to take on and then funding it. hundred percent. You know, the, the one that we always talk about, and especially, you know, I don't know what the crystal ball looks like economy wise. I don't, but I can tell you one thing. Warranties today is a huge unfunded liability on clients' books today. Um, they just use cash flow, you know, and, and here's what I will tell you. And this is something I experienced in 08 and 09. When the economy takes a hit, that's when those things become really important to the consumer. You know, if I'm an HVAC guy and I've been selling service contracts out there and I'm supposed to go look at your AC in the spring and your heat system in the late summer, half the time those clients don't even want you to come out because I got to be home or they just I forget. Oh, they want you out there now, though, don't they? That's exactly that's my point. And the, and the problem with that is you charge four or five hundred bucks in the first month in, in December, let's say. Well, you just book the liability for the next three years. But that 500 bucks, that's income to you this year. So how, so again, he's mitigating these risks on the back end. And Dave, you know, I can't emphasize enough. Like I was saying earlier, the biggest things I love about business is when I see a good business plan. Uh, Somebody that can do a full circle. Hey, I'm making money and everywhere I turn. All of those things excite me because I I just love efficiencies of business plans. But if you're, if, if you're having a great year, and just to take a little bit off the top and park it into one of these vehicles, not only is it good risk management, it's just good business. It really, really is. You know, and, and one of the frustrating things I deal with a lot is C- the CPAs out there, right? They don't want to look at this plan. They're, okay, yeah, there's been some abuses on it, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is it's a legitimate tax code. It's passed by Congress. There are big, big, both Republicans and Democrats love these plans. But the reality is the warranty risk alone that businesses have on their books that are unfunded 
would scare the daylights out of you. And if you're trying to sell your business into the future and you don't have that funded, they'll devalue your business. They'll do all those things because we are selling on warranties. You know, if all if I'm selling the same price product you are, what differentiates me? Well, it's going to be my promise to what I'm going to do to the, the warranty, the returns, all those things that you got to deal with today in the, in the retail side of things. And it is a huge unfunded liability on the books. Not only all the other things that we talk about globally, we talk about as enterprise risk management when I bring up brand protection, supply chain risk, which you talked about earlier, dispute resolution. You know, we get sued all the time. Well, that all you're doing is taking that out of cash flow because most businesses, I mean, the cash flow, the operating capital is the blood of the business, right? I mean, it's, it's, it pumps the body. It, it, it keep the blood, the blood of that business is the cash flow. Once you all of a sudden have an unexpected expense in that cash flow, can you weather that storm or not? That's the question. And again, that's why the government has said to step in with the PPP because, you know, in the first year, in the first month, we collect on an average nationally about $250 billion in commercial premiums. In the first month, PPP, if, if we didn't have PPP, there was over $487 billion of expenses that, that would have been paid out. So now when you, when you think about that, that's why insurance carriers will never be able to be forced to cover those things because it would make them insolvent. We would have bigger issues if all of a sudden our insurance carriers couldn't co cover a fire policy, right? Cover a building that burned down. You know, so those are issues that will always be retained by the business owners. And I don't think the way we handled the PPP or ERC or anything else, that's not a great plan into the future. And I wouldn't, I certainly rely, wouldn't be relying on the government to step up next time to bail me out. And by the way, how many business owners want the government to bail them out? I mean, we were forced into it. Don't get me wrong. But this is a better plan. There's a better opportunity now looking down the road. It, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, right? And and this just brings out, you know, I, I really appreciate being on your platform because it's an education now, right? This is one of those tools that you got to think about. You got to work on. You can't just work in it, right? And for the right client, the right business owner, the right consultant, all of those things, it's a game changer for the business owners out there. But they just got to become aware of it. Absolutely. So where are you seeing, are there trends or commonalities where you see companies gravitating right now? I mean, I feel like in Florida, everything's messed up. So it's not really fair to use us as the example. We're having horrible rate increases on general liability for certain service contractors. You mentioned electricians, plumbers are equally as bad. So are HVAC. That used to be bread and butter. Property goes without saying here, specifically coastal Umbrella rates are through the roof and auto yeah. is just getting absolutely hammered right now. So I could see this being applicable across the board for, for my state. But, you know, where do you see most people gravitate toward when they're looking at doing something like this? You know, we're, we're heavily involved in the medical community uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, professional liability, you talk about, eh, that's a whole nother risk that we can talk about. Professional liability right now, it's got gaping holes on exclusions right now. You know, I tell clients all the time, your PDF file, thank God, you know, when I was selling traditional insurance, they used to sell the paper file and you'd have to do the three hole punch and send the binder out. Uh, 
Today, they sent it in a PDF, thank goodness, and I keep telling them, you know, that file keeps getting bigger. It's not because they're adding more coverage, it's because they're adding more exclusions. And 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 so I would say the professional, any kind of professional, I would say, that's out there today, I think this is a great alternative for them, a risk, a risk financing tool for them. The other thing I would say is the contractors, the general contractors, subcontractor default. You know, back in 08, there was no construction defect for 10 years. You know, if you built a building, a home or a building in the last 10 years, in this country, most of these states have all adopted that where you're on the hook for the 10 year construction default. That's another huge unfunded liability on your books. And then you got to make sure the subs are still in business if they if they did poor workmanship. You're on the hook for that as a general contractor for 10 years now. Anyway, but so we see the, literally a lot of that, a lot of professionals and general contractors. And then you get into this to the manufacturers uh, with warranties today. I think the warranties are huge. I mean, you, you, you got to do something to differentiate yourself in space. And, and a lot of people rely on warranties in a, in a big way. And, you know, as long as the economy is doing well, nobody really pays attention to that. As soon as the economy takes a digger, people become, they don't become, they're, they're, they feel vulnerable. And their warranties become, you know, you're going to sell more warranties during that time too, because people want to transfer that risk. You know, all of those things start to play out. And again, you know, how do you manage that more effectively? You manage it on a tax deferral basis. Why? Because you just have more money to work with. And you're really parking that money outside of your cash flow. And that's a huge component of this. You know, you're not going to be relying on cash flow going forward to, to manage these risks. That just makes you stronger, better, and faster as a business owner. So here's my question. You know, I'm processing everything you're saying, and I'm immediately trying to relate it to my own book of business and how everything is going to work with that. And what I'm essentially hearing is, and, and again, I know you're my guest, but you're welcome to correct me. I'm a big boy with thick skin. I, I get plenty of criticism <laughs> all the time, you know, but my book is heavy on service contractors specifically. And so this is where it, it's, it immediately perked my ears up. Because I think it's a way of life at this point. If you're plumbing, HVAC, and electrician, number one, you very well may be the same company at this point because everybody's trying to do all three of those trades. But I can't think of a single service contractor in those three trades that I would have had come to my home or my office to do any kind of work that they're not going to sell you the club membership, right? Just like you said. And you know, so what I heard you say was they do that they charge you maybe the $500 whatever it ends up being that becomes an immediate you know cash you, you take that cash in in year number 1 then what happens to it right probably not getting set to the side in any any in any way shape or form they're bringing that in as income and then they're just relying on the fact that they're going to do enough business that should anything come up they can just offset it with future earnings assuming things are all going very they're, very well. They're going, sell, they're going to sell future service contracts, so they're just going to use that money to eat to 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 you know. It's kind of like insurance companies. They're paying the premium as it's coming in. They're paying the claims with it, and then of course they act like they're broke when they got to dip into their surplus. Sure. Right? Their sure. But so what I'm what but what that makes me think is any of us out there that are working with service contractors right now have a really good way to open the door with a new prospect and drive a wedge if you can ask them how they're how they're maximizing their tax deferrals on funding their club or their warranty plan right because to me it sounds like they're missing a huge opportunity and they're paying tax on that income well, 
And, and truthfully, David, not to, to dive too much in the weeds, but I've dealt with a lot of these guys over the years and I deal with them all over the country. A lot of them tell me, no, my CPA's parking that off to the side. I'm like, well, that's great, but you just haven't been audited yet. That it doesn't, you, re, you pay the year you incur the incomes, the year you pay the taxes. Now, some of these, some of these guys say, oh, that's under an income. Okay, that's great. You can do that. But truthfully, that we wouldn't have a, if you could do that, there would be no reason to have an 831B. So when I tell business owners that if your CPA is doing that currently, and they're setting it off to the side, if you ever get audited, which keep in mind, one less than 2% of the business owners get audited on an annual basis, they're going to disallow all those deductions. Because the reality is, is you, that's taxable income. Sure. There's no way to move that off the books. You can call whatever you want. Um, but the reality is, is that's earned income. And, and meanwhile, you booked the liability into the future. So again, you know, I, I appreciate you what you're saying, because that's, that's, I have, I so much want those guys to stay, stay around for a long, long time. And cause those are the risk takers. Those are the guys that are pillars in the community. They support the, they support the local baseball team. They do all that stuff, right? They're big, big supporter in the communities and they need, they need to stay in business. We just need to be able to bring these types of tools down to those guys. So, hey, this is a tool. Here's how the efficiency of running it. If you're going to do this, you know, you want to tie your clients back to you. I mean, it's a great way to do businesses, those, those preventive service contracts. It's a great way to retain that customer. And I get it. And, and you want to do that. But how do, you, how do you do that in a way that makes it more feasible for you as a business owner? And it's utilizing an 831B. So here's a question um, that every single salesperson listening to this, which is probably the majority of the people who listen to this, how do you prospect these people aside from just walking in and asking the question? I know that my phone continues to blow up over PPP and there was a PPP database that showed everybody who had taken advantage of it. I know that I could go to freearissa.com and get, the information on the 401k and the employee benefits plan. Is there somewhere that's a tool that we as salespeople could use to know if a company's taking advantage of this before we ever walk in the door? You know, truthfully there is. And I mean, we own 831b.com. I will tell you this. I deal with more and more property casualty agents all the time on this product because it's, it's just self-awareness. Um, we, we also, you know, we're, we, we, we work with over 200 advisors currently around the country and they get compensated by us as well. I mean, we're no different than, you know, again, I come from a residual background, residual income background. I, I believe in residual income is the way to survive this world. Um, and Hold and on one second. Can you rewind? I, I want to make sure that everybody heard this because I would think one of the biggest reasons people wouldn't talk about this is they would be afraid that they would actually lose money in commission by not selling, you know, certain premium to move the money over here and have it be a, a different mechanism for these people to address their risk. I heard you say that you compensate PNC agents to be able to, to, to work with you guys. Absolutely. I mean, we have to, I mean, these are trusted advisors. We don't, we don't, we, you know, as far as prospecting, I mean, think about the client we're dealing with fairly sophisticated, but extremely busy. So how do we how do we how do we get our message out to those clients? Well, we have to use trusted advisors, people that have relationship with business owners um, and, and say, hey, th this is we're going to compensate you for this relationship. I, I, I think that, again, <laughs> that's just good business. It's good. You know, I always like everybody at the table should be able to win or lose equally. And if right. I can get people in that position, 
then we're going to be successful. And that's really what it's so that so to me, it's a no brainer. I mean, absolutely. I mean, why why wouldn't we compensate? Um, but again, you know, it's it's a it's something you got to learn. It's, it, there's a learning curve to it. There's, some, you know, believe me, there's a four part test to it. And all of that stuff goes into it. And again, you got to rely heavily on I would consider as experts in this space to no different than I'm relying on an underwriter, a loss control prevention person helping me get get this business client on board and get this policy through for, through through my carrier uh, no different right um, and that's where we would fit the bill as well so you know I would you know if, if people want if they want to learn more about our products I mean I'm always happy to do something more more direct with them and or even with you David if you said hey guys I got a group of people that I can bring this together with let's sit down and educate them at once that's all better you know we got CE stuff and all that kind of thing going too for us but you know, it's it's really getting the education level out. And and I would say, you know, looking back at my world at PNC, you're absolutely right. I think I looked at this product more as a uh, a competitor that I didn't want to deal with. I, I and then then it really hit me in 08 and 09, watching business owners unfortunately were being auctioned off, and I was losing those guys as clients, right? And then, so now I'm financially being affected too by the risk, the financial risk these guys took. And I thought, well, there had to be a smarter, better way to do something. And that, that's when this I was really brought, you know, brought the different pieces of the puzzle together and said, this, this is a great value add beyond traditional insurance. Traditional insurance does a fantastic job when you look at, and we talk about the assets, we talk about the tangible versus the intangible. I think the tangible assets, great. Building, cars, anything you can put a loan on, traditional insurance does a good job at that. The intangible, they don't. Uh, blue sky, you know, you get back to intellectual property, brand protection, all those other things is what most business owners value the most, but we don't insure the intangible. Or we do a very, we got such sublimits and policies that makes it very, very minimal compared to what our exposure really is. And so again, it's the, it's getting that message out to the PNC agents that this is it, guys, this is a value add. And, and here's what I would say. David, and one of the things that frustrated me when I was selling traditional insurance is like, man, I love you. You're a great guy. But every time I see you, you cost me more money. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know, well, it's the old it's the old policy review. But again, man, yeah. you're you're making a distinction, whether you realize it or not, between an insurance salesperson and a trusted advisor. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference between people who are going to go out and their automatic solution to any problem that a business faces is, oh, we got a policy for that. We got a policy for that. We got a policy for that. When in reality, we should be looking at the risk profile of the account and determining, OK, what can we transfer? What do we need to retain? What do we need to finance? And and, and looking at it from that aspect, I do have another question, though, for you in that I'm interested, is this only for businesses? Because one of the issues we face in Florida right now is a lot of the high net worth people, you even mentioned it, the houses down in Naples too, $3 million. I'm seeing people, and we don't even do personal lines, but we work with business owners who do have personal insurance. So they ask questions a lot. A lot of these people are self-insuring for their homes because they don't have a mortgage anymore. And he's got two or 3 million bucks on the on the line. I don't care how wealthy you are, man. That stings. Oh yeah. I, I know. I'm so is there I, a mechanism in place for the individuals to do this personally? Or is we've there done a it with HOAs? We've done it with okay. HOAs in Florida. 
you know, condominium associations that said, hey, we're just going to self-insure this thing. We've done it there. It's very difficult to do with individuals because this is, you want to take a deduction, right? So where are you taking the deduction today? And it's really through an entity. So if the house is owned by an LLC, then we can absolutely do something there. But if it's, but if it's owned by an individual, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, and, you know, we have competitors out there that will do stuff like this, but I, I, I want it to make sense for everybody. And again, it's back to that table, right? Everybody's got to win equally and everybody's got to lose equally. Um, you know, for me, it's, you know, and however, we do have clients that will move into an LLC, then we can build up the LLCs are insured. Right. So now that's our insured. That's where we're going to that's who we're going to send the policy to. They're driving revenue or they're making revenue or something where it makes sense to build up a tax deferred bucket of money. So it, it's always a challenge. We always get those calls. Um, and sometimes, you know, again, it's a tool in the toolbox. It's not going to be for everybody and it's not a silver bullet. Uh, and those specific situations where there are individuals that own their individual homes, it's it doesn't make financial sense. Uh, unfortunately, I, I wish it did. Uh, cause the co I get into the co-insurance conversations where, you know, where, how do you fund for the co-insurance? I would say this, but if you own a business and you do the 831B plan and, you know, these insurance, these plans create surplus, you know, you assume you're going to have underwriting profit years, no different than, you know, if that severity doesn't hit this year, now that money I put into it becomes surplus. Now you're able to build these surpluses up. Uh, you can borrow out of it. You can take a qualified dividend out of it. You know, the, you know, no different than the 401k. You know, the 401k has got forced distributions. No different than 70 and a half. If you hit 70 and a half, you got to start taking money out of the 401ks and all that stuff. So, you know, again, those are the weeds things that we can talk about or, uh, you know, on a more one-on-one -on -one basis to understand sure. these plans. But that's one alternative right to where down the road you can take it out if you need to that wasn't being used necessary for your business or your or you know but you know there's the idea is to build this up in surplus right that's what insurance companies live and breathe to do is to build surplus and that surplus gives you advantages in other places that you wouldn't other have i i say it a lot david i you know when i'm making presentations from a business owner cpa conventions and all that you know more and more business owners are going to become aware of this tool and if you don't know or understand this, it's going to put you at a disadvantage to your competitors, first and foremost. But when a business owner is doing this and the, and the guy down the road, the great example would be an HVAC guy. If he's not, but your competitor is, that does put you at a disadvantage in the marketplace, no doubt. Because why? They're just more financially stronger because of the way they put, position themselves. Well, anytime that happens, that just puts you in a better position to take advantage of markets, to take advantage all sorts of other things, right? The options that this plan gives you down the road, I think is the difference between living and dying as a business sometimes. And I, I don't want to be that dramatic, but unfortunately, we all been there. We've all seen it. You've been doing this business long enough. You've all had to sit, had that uncomfortable conversation with the client saying it's not going to be covered. And here's why. And it makes perfect sense why it's not covered. However, this client's never had a claim. And now that the one time they go to use their insurance, what do they get to tell you, right? And that's never a great position to be in. But this is an alternative to those conversations. And, and I was gonna bring this up earlier. If you wanna elevate your professionalism with your, with your clients, to your point about being a real risk consultant, this tool is just, just put in your toolbox because at the right time, this can get you the business, retain the business, and more importantly, Keep the business afloat. 
when all when everything else they could turn to is gone, they have this 831B plan that they put away. And that's really where I became a believer in this because I saw a business owner that had seven of these plans put in place. He was a major RV manufacturer, and I saw what he was able to do. I mean, he was the one going to the auctions and buying his competitors out. Why? Because he had piled up so much cash over the years in these plans that he was able to do that, not relying on a bank to do that, but he had his own money to do that. That's when it, the light bulb went off for me. And I'm like, you know what? This is the way to run a business. This takes advantages of the troughs because nobody makes their money. Everybody's making money when everybody's at the peak. You know, if I'm an HVAC guy, the guy down the road and I'm doing well, the guy down the road is probably doing well too. But when the, when the economy takes a hit or unforeseen ha things happen and there's a dip, now we're, now I have an opportunity to move. Now I have an opportunity to break through the next wall to be a major carrier, be a major company in those areas that otherwise I wouldn't. But if you don't have the cash or you haven't been the, if you haven't been planning for that. And oh, by the way, we have all the, when you think about our tax code, we have all the incentive in the world to spend money, but we have no incentive to save money. This is the only code that I'm aware of that gives you incentive to save. And, and again, it's the knowledge base, experience, the education level, and, and the right business owner, truthfully. I mean, if a, if a business owner is running around with their head on fire all the time, they're probably not going to, this probably is not for them. But if you have a very good, sophisticated business owner, I would say in their mid 50s, they're looking at a transitioning down the road. All of those things, you know, one of the things I talk about a lot of times is you keep talking about this big transfer of wealth that's going to occur, you know, whatever. I keep asking the question, well, who's going to take on the small to middle market business owners? Who's going to be buying them out? And ESOP's not for everybody, as we know. Um, here's another solution to the problem. And, and again, it's just a solution, part of, part of the equation. I would think that if I'm a producer and I'm asking the right questions, an easy way for me to find somebody who would subscribe to this type of a, a system would be the same people that are electricians that when the price of copper went up immediately yeah. went out and bought as much copper as they could reasonably afford because they knew they were controlling their future expense by buying it today. When COVID hit, I had clients that are HVAC contractors that would go out and literally invest in a tractor trailer load of AC units because they knew yeah. production was slowing down. They weren't going to be able to get them. And that was the only way they were going to be able to afford staying in business. If you have those types of clients and they give you pushback in talking about something like this and they don't have it or they've never heard of it, that's probably pretty good stuff to remind them about in terms of things they've done that shows their pattern of behavior would yeah. actually be exactly who you're looking for. So think through those conversations you've had as a producer over the years. And when you find out, that your clients calling and saying, "Hey, I gotta get um, gotta up my property insurance because I have a tractor trailer load of AC units palletized that we're putting in to a storage facility." Think about this yeah. great yeah, trigger because they're already thinking in the they're already thinking the way they need to think to believe that thinkers. this was hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Those guys, you know who they are. So you know, as always, a, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, as we wrap up, a couple things. Number one, we're definitely going to have you do a deep dive for my private community. They're exactly who you want to be in front of. 
and they're going to get this. They're going to be able to go out to the masses and be able to um, to relay this information. They're exactly who the boot the boots on the ground that you want. But in the meantime, before I can get that on the calendar and make it happen, and before we wrap up, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way for somebody who has questions uh, to reach out? I would go to our website, 831B.com. Mine is van at 831B.com email. But the website really is designed to educate the business owners, to educate the advisors, to really understand that, you know, and, and, and hey, guys, this is not a risk-free adventure. There has to be a pooling mechanism. So clients are going to share in risk. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things in this tool, but I don't want it to sound like a spaceship either. So that's, that's, a, that's our challenge to, to bring this product out. But, you know, truthfully, though, I, I think that's the best. 831B.com. Go to the website. There's some videos on there. There's some animation videos. I'm told those hold your attention longer. So that's why we spent all the money on them. Uh, and we love to hear your guys' feedback on it anyway. But, you know, I think that's the best way to start. And then, too, the, there's a team there. The other thing is, is, you know, um, we, we do webinars. We got a webinar coming up real soon on, on, we call them safe harbor plans on the warranty stuff because we see that forecasting right now looking down the road is one of the biggest exposures these subcontractors have right now is they haven't funded. And if they have a pullback in the economy, they're going to sell less service contract. And there's just an exposure there that they need to be aware of. And so all of those things are coming up. But, you know, truthfully, David, you know, starting there first and then reaching out to us uh, via email, van at 831b.com. Um, and it really, um, you know, we, we have a pretty good sales team in place that will help benefit to their clients. We do webinars, we do all the educational things and that's really what we're doing, right? Educating clients. And, and, you know, I tell people all the time, my best salespeople are people that can educate. And, and that's really, you know, anytime you can be doing that, you know, you feel good about what you're doing too. I mean, you're not just selling on price. You're not just selling on, Hey, I'm, I, I take you golfing and you're the guy doesn't, I mean, all that kind of stuff just goes away on this. And, and it's just a, it's just a, a level of professionalism that you can bring to your space that I don't know. It just, you know, one of the things I, I would tell you, and, and, you know, we can end the conversation if you like, but basically thing that I never got this when I was selling traditional insurance, but when, one of the things that we get a lot of times is, you know, Van, I just sleep better at night knowing I've done your plan. And I can't think of a better compliment from a property casualty agent standpoint than that. Um, Cause you're doing right by the client. And that's a huge factor. If you're doing right by the client, your business will be successful. I, I promise you that. Always. Always. Yeah. Well, well, listen, this is a good point for us to wrap up. People, he's told you how to get a hold of him. I feel like we gave you a lot of meat on the bone to chew on on this episode that you can take out and literally use immediately. But as quick as we wrap up and jump off this podcast, Van and I are going to set a time for him to come into the Killing Commercial private community and have a conversation with everybody in there in deep dive even more. So I really appreciate you coming on today. It's been a great conversation. Everything I hoped for when I saw it, when I saw it come through my email to have you come on, I'm like, Ooh, this is something that not everybody knows about. And that immediately gets my attention. Industry goes right. I'm sprinting left every time. And so anytime there's something new that I haven't heard of, I want to make sure I know all about it. And that served me very, very well when PPP was originally announced. So I can't imagine that this would be any different as long as we know how to have the conversation the right way. So thanks so much for your time today, Van. And I look forward to uh, 
hearing how many people buried you in your email after hearing this episode, <laughs> but hopefully it's for the right reasons and they're out yeah. having the conversations. 100%. Appreciate it very much, David. Yes, sir. Everybody else, we'll catch you next time. See ya. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.